Hey, good evening, guys. This is Jerry Sue with the Jiu-Jitsu Times Podcast. Um, I'm here with Eddie Cummings for our first podcast in 2016. Around this time last year, um, Jiu-Jitsu Times posted an article on Eddie that we titled, Eddie Cummings is a bad motherfucker. Basically, back then, um, the guys from Henzo Grace in New York and around Tri-State area, they were all pretty familiar with Eddie Cummings. He was a guy who was entering Grappler's Quest, professional grappling league, uh, super fights and basically weigh them all in under 90 seconds. If you go on YouTube, you can see all these amazing videos. But he wasn't this huge sensation he is now that he blew up to become in 2015. In 2015, he won EBI4. He won a super fight against Denny Prokos around this time last year at Gracie Nationals. He even uh, qualified for um, ADCCs in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and had a great run there. I uh, just wanted to talk to him tonight about his plans for 2016, recap 2015, and talk a little bit about his life. Thanks for joining us, Eddie. Uh, thanks for having me, man, and, and thanks again. I know you guys were the first guys to write that article about me. I appreciate it a lot. Uh, oh, no problem. It's just such a fascinating story because back then, one of my buddies... I lost you again, man. ...just mentioned to me that, hey, there's this guy named Eddie Lee who's tapping everybody out in under nine seconds. And I said, is he like some super athlete? Is he an MMA fighter? He's like, no, he's just a regular looking dude. <laughs> yeah. So, so one of the first things to the site. <laughs> Sorry, I lost you, man. I missed that last part. Oh, no. Um, basically, just want to know, um, to start off 2016, what are your plans? Are you going to do EBI 6 in Polaris? Yeah, so Polaris and EBI 6 are my next big ones coming up. There's also a, a local tournament done by Grapple Industries that mm. I'm looking to get a super fight against, hopefully, Munchy Kara from Marcelo Garcia's. So Great. hopefully I'll have that. And then there's also an Iwaza challenge happening. I'm hoping to get a super fight there. I know they're talking about a bunch of different opponents. Uh, I think we're trying to put together Geo for me in that one. So those would be before Polaris. So, And then Polaris and EBI 6, which are huge tournaments, shaping up to be just a massive tournament, which I'm really excited about. Mm -hmm. And for Polaris, have you had a hard time finding – Sorry, I lost you again. You were asking about a Polaris opponent? Yeah. Have you had a hard time finding an opponent for that event? Yeah. I mean, so, you know, the top of my list, obviously, I, I wanted a rematch with Tanquino or, you know, any of the top guys in my at my weight. Not that, uh, you know, I'm deserving of it. But on such a big stage, you know, Polaris has money. A lot of those guys might show up, you know, even if it is just to compete against me. Um, but, uh, Tanquinho actually is fighting in the UFC this weekend. So that was sort of out and Ryan Hall's in the UFC now. So that's out as well. Um, we're looking at a bunch of different people for that match, but, um, I just got thrown a name recently, which I'm really excited about. I can't talk about it yet, but I'm extremely excited, uh, to, to compete against that guy. So if it happens, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so excited about Polaris. Very excited. It's going to be a great card. Like some of the matches they're talking about, aside from just AJ Ben Askren, are going to be huge. And AJ Ben Askren is going to be a great match. I'm not usually a fan of uh, 
AJ style of IBGF grappling, but against Ben Askren, I think it's really going to shine. You know, I think you're going to see some submission style, you know, submission fighting fireworks, so to speak. And also Ben Askren, he's a 2008 Olympian. I believe he's also black belt as well in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Um, nickname's Funky. He's very, has a very interesting uh, grappling style that could give a lot of people problems. He's undefeated in MMA and is a former Bellator champion, current 1FC champion. So, yeah, that should be an amazing matchup. Yeah, I'm very styles. excited about that match. That was, that was a brilliant matchup on their part, I think. Um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be a very exciting match to watch. Um, talking a little bit to your manager, Jeff Chu, um, setting up this podcast, I'm just curious, are there a lot of people out there willing to take on Eddie Cummings? Um, we, we do have, health issue. <laughs> we, uh, we do have some issues finding uh, opponents, you know, but I, th- I think the grappling world in, in a lot of ways is small, you know, a lot smaller than people realize. So, that, you know, like I know Gary has a tough time finding opponents just because, you know, he's either competed against everybody or, you know, it just doesn't make sense certain matchups. Um, you know, the submission grappling is really getting – in its infancy. It's only the past few years where a lot of these professional events have taken a foothold. And I think we're all still trying to figure out just how to make matches and where we all stand in the submission grappling world. You know, so, so it's hard figuring out um, just how to go about getting a match up and sort of building a brand and building your own name. And it's not a, there's not a single organization where you can sort of rise to the top, such as UFC. So I think everyone's just trying to figure it out themselves. But yeah, it is not always easy finding uh, opponents who are game, you know. Mm-hmm. And also, how's your knee coming along? Um, you injured your knee and had to back yeah. out of the last EBI. Um, how's the rehab coming along? And you think you'll be ready to go in time for EBI and also Polaris? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I, do. I mean, I injured it uh, actually a long time ago, uh, in like the end of November. I, I tore my MCL. Uh, and I, you know, rested it for a few weeks and I started training again, trying to get ready for EBI. I did like a week of camp and then I retoured the MCL, now meniscus too, which I've been uh, nursing these past few weeks, trying to take a little bit more time off and just, you know, really recover fully. Um, but the rehab's going really well. You know, I've been very disciplined with it. Um, you know, I've been repping, I've been drilling, I've been flow rolling a bit. So, you know, I definitely missed my uh, hard bowling but within two weeks i should be back to full speed rolling which i'm very excited about i really miss it yeah and when you were in los angeles um last month for ebi to corner gary um you spoke with my coach sean williams have you considered regenikine where the plate where they pretty much take out your blood spin yeah. it, centrifuge was that an option and have you went down yeah, that route i did uh, i did prp actually on my knee i had three sessions um it actually has had some promising results on mcls it's very, very hard to be um, sort of scientific about, you know, does it work? Does it not work? And it's really hard to tell uh, whether my recovery this time is faster than last time, being as I took a lot more time off and I'm taking a lot better care of it this time just because I don't have a very big tournament I'm trying to get ready for, um, you know, through the injury. So, um, yeah, I can't really say, you know, yes or no on the PRP. Um, you know, is it just magic pixie dust? I, I really couldn't tell you. Um, and I think the jury's still out, you know, in the medical community as well. So, um, but I, I did it because I'm pretty desperate to get back on the mat. So, mm-hmm. um, spending all my tournament winnings on PRP, you know. 
Yeah. If anyone's selling snake oil, I'll buy that too. I'll try anything. <laughs> <laughs> and just go to build upon uh, the tournament winnings. You had a major 2015. Did, and I ask you this um, after the last EBI. Did you expect all this to happen in 2015? Uh, no, I did not. Um, you know, I remember when I decided to become a professional, it was about ooh, two weeks into last year, like just before I got my black belt. So maybe almost exactly a year ago, I decided I was going to be a professional grappler after helping Gary get ready for his uh, Marson Held match, uh, his first Polaris. Um, and was being part of that experience, cornering him, training up with him for that, really just maybe want to be a part of that whole art, you know, just, just be a full-time submission grappler. Um, and, you know, when, when I first got into it, I wasn't sure I was going to have success competing against you know, grapplers like Denny Pocus and Nate Orchard, you know, uh, Enrico Coco the second time I had to face him at EBI. Um, you know, I had no idea whether I was going to be successful. And I was actually preparing more for a career in teaching initially. I was sharpening up on my lesson plans and such because I just didn't know how all, uh, all this competition would work out for me. Uh, fortunately, it seems that I am slowly adapting to competing and I think I'm getting better at it as time goes on. Um, and I, I was met with a bit of success last year, which I'm very, very grateful for and very happy for. Because you did, although you did have success in local Northeast um, competitions you spoke about earlier, the PGL, um, Grappler's Quest, you were kind of this unknown, almost um, mythical character in a way. In certain <laughs> circles, maybe maybe I should have said mythical. <laughs> yeah, like a Kaiser Soze type dude. And then all of a sudden you blew up at, uh, somehow you got your manager, your team, um, Gary maybe have influenced it as well, got you the match at uh, Gracie Nationals where you went off up against Denny Propikos. Um How did you master that learning curve so quickly where you went from the regional scene and local Northeast tournaments taking out a guy who qualified for ADCC and also won the EBI too and is pretty um, has a number of years on you in grappling experience? No, Den Denny was – Really scary. Anyone around me knows I was very, very scared for that match. Um, mm -hmm. I, uh, I mean, I think, you know, Denny, you know, if we grappled again today, I think it'd be a different match too, to be honest. Denny, I know he had like three or four opponents pull out of him for that. So he got, it was sort of a last notice two weeks before that he got notified that he was going to compete against me and he had no idea who I was. Whereas there's tons of tape on Denny, you know, he could really study his game, his system, you know, it's very much based on the Eddie Bravo, uh, system with some wrestling thrown in there so it, it was you know it, it was sort of an unfair advantage i had in our first match to be honest but um i, I was still very very nervous denny denny's a great grappler and, uh, you know it was definitely a, a big win for me and you know in a lot of ways just i was lucky that all the pieces fell together my manager and gary and rose gracie taking a big chance on me in the gracie nationals um you know i'm just really grateful everyone gave me the opportunity look i was watching that match from the stands and one of the things uh, i spoke to your manager again after a match, I was like, you should have seen the look on Eddie's face when Danny tapped you. It was yeah. like, <laughs> I don't think he saw that one coming. Um, I don't, I don't but, think anyone did, actually. I don't think anyone had me as a favorite. No, but I watched your matches, and I was like, and I spoke to um, my coach who was in your corner, Sean, or one of your corners, yeah, Sean yeah. Williams, and he just said, there's some things about Danny that you guys went over that, he may get tired if you push the pace a little bit on him. He may get impatient. And he mentioned those things to me. How much did the strategy um, 
come into play that, uh, as well. Yeah, I mean, my, my thinking, you know, I played a very conservative game uh, against Denny. And yeah, I mean, Sean was definitely talking to me before that, you know, as was John Danaher about sort of, you know, just playing my game, staying safe, not making any poor decisions. Um, you know, just gives my first time on that kind of stage. And, you know, it was a bit, you know, the regional shows it can be very competitive and very challenging. It's just not quite the same as being just, you know, a super fight at the Gracie Nationals, which, you know, just everyone's, you know, there's a lot of people around there. And, um, yeah, I mean, most of it was just, you know, when I got a few of those two-on-ones, I felt him use a lot of energy to rip out. And I started thinking to myself, you know, I could definitely keep making this grip, which doesn't cost me a lot. And it felt like he was using a lot of energy to get out of there. And eventually I could maybe wear him down and then start catching him sleeping. You know, the back control was mostly just to, like Gary in my corner was calling, like, don't transition for a submission yet. Just hold them for a little bit. It's sub only. Um, normally, I just like, you know, if I can't get a finish in a position, I'll, I'll move on right away. I don't like hanging out. And uh, Gary knows me very well. I remember him distinctly cornering me not to do that. <laughs> He's like, let's stay here for a little bit. Sub only, Eddie. And just so uh, you mentioned before that Danny – um, there's a lot of film on him, but not a lot of film on you when he took the match. As the year went on, um, a byproduct of your success was that you, more of your matches were um, showing up on YouTube. A lot more of your techniques were showing up on YouTube. How have you had to adjust to uh, people starting to figure you out and learn some of your sequences in game? I mean, I've been asked this before. And it's not so much that we try to stay ahead of everybody with the leg lock technology. Because leg lock techs and movements and setups and finishes even are advancing at a really rapid rate. If you show up to Dana Harris classes, you'll see something completely different being taught a month and a half from now. I promise you, uh, we're going to finish him the heel hooks differently. We're going to set them up differently. And I think it's not so much keeping ahead of everyone else as we're keeping ahead of ourselves. Um, you know, it's just a challenge to keep up with what we currently understand about the, the lower body submission game. I know me and Gary make a full-time uh, practice of it for certain. And uh, so, so I think as much as people might watch tape, uh, the game I have right now is extremely different than the game I used in my last match, which is Polaris against Riley Bodycomb. I'm completely different entrances now, bunch of new stuff. So it, it's um, – and the way, the way I, you know, apply my finishes is different now too. Like very de decidedly different. So – um, yeah, I don't think it's that much of an issue yet in that, you know, we're, we're like I said, staying ahead of ourselves for the most part. So, mm -hmm. And you're known as um, a leg lock expert, and everybody's seen you uh, mainly use it as your go-to uh, go game. But do you feel like it's a blessing or a curse that you're known just for leg locks and people don't realize that you do have a well-rounded game? I mean, it's certainly at times I'm proud of it, and at times I do get frustrated. You know, I, I am a black belt in jiu-jitsu. I, I know a few other moves. But um, I, I think ultimately I am proud of that fact. There's something nice about knowing what the person's game plan is and not being able to stop them doing it anyway. You know, mm -hmm. if you go into a match against a guy who's skilled at a bunch of submissions, even if he's really good, it's not that he's going to force one or two submissions on you necessarily or a specific game plan. Um, and I think, you know, when you go into a match and the other guy knows exactly what you want to do and you're still able to do that, that shows a certain level of mastery um, and a certain level of, 
just strength of technique. Uh, the actual movements themselves, I think, are very good. You know, I don't think it's that, you know, I do leg locks as much as leg locks and lower body submissions are effective techniques in submission grappling. And I think that just shows through, you know, when people ignore that or people think that they're particularly easy to avoid, um, it's not that you can't avoid them. They're, you certainly can. It's just it's a little bit more challenging than a lot of people realize, I think, um, although that is changing for certain now. Um, but, uh, you know, I think it's like you know, people can know Hodger is going to armbar you or cross collar choke you. It doesn't mean he's not going to do it. And, you know, that's not that I'm at that level or any of us are, but we're striving to reach that level, you know, and it's just the identical idea, identical approach. And you mentioned uh, we spoke earlier about Taquino Mendez and what was the biggest learning um, takeaway from your match with Taquino ADCC? Um, you know, we talked about the learning curve to compete at that level. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't there in that match. Um, you know, uh, there's a lot of technical mistakes made and the psychological reasons I think were mostly just not being ready to compete on that stage yet. Um, you know, I mean, I was sort of like, I feel if I could have competed a week after at ADCC, I would, would have done better, um, and been more successful. You know, I had all my positions, I had all my entrances, you know, I had everything I needed. It's just the, those last few inches, um, my head just wasn't there. You know, I made some real critical mistakes in certain kill positions. I just, um, you know, I didn't feel like I expressed myself fully in that match. I mean, aside from that, there's a lot of adaptions I used to make myself more energy efficient from those smash positions. I got tired a bit uh, halfway through or so. Um, but yeah, I, I think if I could have competed a week after, it would have been different just having had that experience already. You know, I don't think there's any way to replace that sort of uh, experience and next time I'm hoping it's going to be different my performance at ADCC um, you know so I, I really wanted to compete against Takino again at, at Polaris I even wanted to give up my purse I told the organizers if uh, they could get him in I'm like yeah just give him all my money just whatever it takes to get him in there um, but yeah I mean it's good for him he got signed by the UFC he's a great fighter uh, you know, great jiu-jitsu fighter, great MMA fighter. I'm, I'm excited to see him fight in the UFC. So I wish him the best of luck in that. Yeah, and he has a tough, uh, definitely a tall order. He's fighting Charlie Rosa, who's a very tough guy of American yeah. top team on Sunday. And you talked about the psychology of not being psychologically ready or prepared, but you during the span of the months leading up to ADCC, you did do some major super fights, um, just two off the top of my head, where um, – EBI three where you made the semifinals and went up against Gary, and then EBI four where you were very had a very impressive uh, run and helped fund your regenerative therapy there. Um, how did what what's the big difference because between those EBI matches or the event itself and ADCC? Because when you think about EBI, it's a major stream and um, it's in a fifteen hundred seat um, theater. The lights are on you. There's a huge crowd, um, sometimes a hostile crowd that's maybe yeah. more tenth planet. Um, actually, the EBI crowd, uh, that, that's probably one of the distinctions. Um, the EBI crowd's very, very friendly. Like, they just, they, they like good jujitsu. Like, the people at EBI, I don't, I mean, yeah, they, they, there's definitely a tenth planet bias, but there's a bias for good jujitsu in that crowd. They don't care who you are. If you're doing good jujitsu, they, they love it. They love this competent grappling. Um, they will cheer for anybody when they get a beautiful escape or when they start an attack. Doesn't matter. Um, that being said, the, the ADCC crowd was not 
uh, <laughs> neutral, <laughs> especially when I was, you know, a white boy competing against a Brazilian. <laughs> but it wasn't so much the crowd. Uh, I think a, a few times I had, I had my entrance. It was very close. And in my mind, instead of just being empty and going for the killie, you know, I, I celebrated a little bit where I thought, man, I, I have them. And there's just no place for thoughts like that in, in competition. There's just no place for it at all. And, uh, you know, it's a weakness I've, I've worked on, and I think I, I, I straightened out fairly quickly. But, yeah, I mean, I didn't know that about myself, and I, I do now. You know, I was just, yeah, I, I did think I was going to win that match, you know, and I never stopped thinking I was going to win. When I pulled guard in overtime, you know, I thought I was going to be able to submit him. If I had just stood on the feet and stalled, I felt I could have won a decision there. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I thought I was going to finish him. I, I believed it, and I, I was wrong. So, you know, I, I learned some valuable lessons out of that, you know, about myself, so to speak. Um, yeah. And in 2015, um, you said basically it exceeded your expectations. If you, in addition to Polaris, the EBI, what are your other goals for 2016 right now? I mean, these are some lofty goals I have a lift. I mean, even the local super fights, you know, when you mention names like Gio and Munchie Mm -hmm. as, you know, sort of the the smaller events is crazy to think about that. So, I mean, there's no easy matches in my future at any point. Every single match is a very good grappler who's very dangerous. Um, And that's what I hope to just keep doing through the year. I have no future plans beyond that this year. Uh, next, next thing in my sights, as far as I know, you know, the ADCC trials again, and then ADCC, hopefully. Um, and that's sort of where my mind's at right now. I try not to think too far past my immediate match coming up. Just, um, you know, I try to plan it out ahead of time, my weight cuts and, and all that, my game plans as much as I can. And then I just try to execute that as best I can, you know. Um, yeah, no, no easy matches at all coming up. Yeah. No, all, all straight killers. Um, just want to also, a lot of people don't know a lot about your background. Yeah. Uh, are, are you, you're originally a New York kid? Yeah, I grew up on Long Island, actually. <laughs> Trying to keep part? that a secret. Uh, in Smithtown. Oh, Eddie? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I thought we cut off. So you're from which part of Long Island are you from? I am from Smithtown. It's in middle Long Island, Suffolk County. Suffolk County, yeah. I spent three months in Glen Cove. I don't oh, know. yeah. yeah. It's out I'm a yeah. little bit familiar with it. I worked and, there for a little bit. Oh, where at? I taught at a school over there. I think it's one of the old Westbury satellites, maybe. maybe oh, for Sarah or Henzo? No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> MCATs. <laughs> Oh, nice. Yeah. You're, so you're, uh, were you tutoring back then? or? Yeah, I worked for Kaplan for a little bit. Nice. Uh, Kaplan's a test press com- company. So, um, you know, I was teaching, working for them. I was teaching some classes at college, too. Um, I was actually pre-med in mathematics in my first degree at Stony Brook. So um, tutored MCATs, LSATs, a uh, bunch of tests. I'm a good test taker. Oh. Nice. Yeah. Uh, and we always knew you... I've heard from a lot of people that you're a pretty academic, intellectual guy. You're working on your PhD in physics when you decide to turn pro, where when you picked up jujitsu. Yeah, I was, I was in a master's program for physics. Uh, I'm hoping to go into the PhD program when I sort of 
decided to make the full-time switch into jujitsu. Yes, that's correct. And um, you, so you went to SUNY Stony Brook, um, you were teaching. What else were you doing uh, before, before you started jujitsu? Um, I actually played poker professionally for a while, um, online poker. That was a uh, full-time gig for a bit. Uh, was mostly, mo- I mean, I was studying most of the time. Like I actually uh, got a graduate degree in mathematics from Stony Brook and mm-hmm. passed the qualifiers, the first part of the qualifiers for the doctoral exam there in mathematics actually as well. Um, and then I uh, ran away to... <laughs> Ran, ran away to England and uh, dropped out of the program for a little bit, but uh, played, started playing poker. And then, um, yeah, I was teaching a bit for Kaplan and I decided to move to the city to train under Danaher and start my study in physics. And I felt my training was reaching a point where I had to make a decision whether I was going to compete professionally or continue on with physics. And I chose submission grappling. And were you an athlete growing up? Because where did you play any sports growing up? Uh, I did play some sports growing up, uh, soccer and lacrosse, as all people on Long Island must. Uh, but, you know, I, I was asked this before, and mm. I wasn't picked last for dodgeball, but I wasn't picked first, you know, so, somewhere in the middle, maybe. Um, mm. I, I wouldn't describe myself as particularly athletic by any means. So how, how, what long did it take for jiu-jitsu to click for you where it's like, wait, I'm pretty good at this? Because you got your black belt relatively quickly. Um, my, my first instructor was extremely good. Uh, his name's Krishna. He te- still teaches out on Long Island uh, at Texel. And uh, yeah, he's, he's a great instructor, very technical. So I, had, you know, I was very serious about jiu-jitsu. When, immediately when I first started, I just fell in love with the art. I mean, I was getting beat up pretty badly. Um, one of my main training partners when I first started was John Sateva from Marcello's and he was like the big badass blue belt where I was coming up. So I, uh, and I was a very enthusiastic white belt. So he lovingly beat the living hell out of me every day. <laughs> I mean, pretty bad, but I, I did fall in love with the sport right away, the art and, um, you know, had really, really good guidance, a really good instructor. And I had a lot of tournament success early on. I definitely, uh, you know, didn't have many tournament failures, so to speak. So I kind of had an impression early on, I, you know, I was okay at it, but, you know, I had no idea that um, I would be able to be a competent professional. You know, I don't think the, I think the only way to tell that is to actually become one or try to become one. And you've done it outside the um, IBJJF, whereas a lot of you guys, even Gary and another one of your chain partners, Gordon Ryan, they both, um, we're world champions at the brown belt nogi level. Um, what are your thoughts, though, on the IBJJF, and we'll, why do you think it's still legitimate? As far as you almost need to do it in order to ha- need to do it and win at a high level, such as uh, the world title or pans and nogi, in order to have that credibility. I mean, I, I certainly understand that. I get it. Um, the guys who compete at the you know the world championships in the IBJF events are, you know, at the black belt level are, are amazing athletes. They're, they're great athletes. Some of the best our art has to offer. And for a very long time, that was the only avenue you had to compete at the high level. There weren't events like Polaris and EBI to, to showcase skill. And without Polaris, EBI, mm-hmm. and some of these bigger show, local shows now, local shows that are streaming, that are getting larger, that are getting bigger names, uh, this wasn't around four or five years ago. So I, I certainly see why they were legitimate credentials then. And they still are to this day. 
certainly, though, there is a new movement, this submission grappling movement, where I think the people putting on shows are, are local organizers or independent companies who, um, it's the, the, you know, they're paying athletes. They're not sort of just making profit throughout holding these tournaments. And I mean, that's one of my big holdups. Like I, I constantly want to get motivated to do some IBGF events, you know, get some gi work in, um, thinking about the gi worlds this year, thought about them briefly. Um, it's just to register as a black belt. It costs money to compete in all these events. It costs money. And even if I win, I'm not going to get paid money and the sponsorships and all this that come with the IBGF credibility um, are sort of based on the IBGF tournaments being the big thing. But I think people are starting to realize more and more as these IBGF world champions start competing in these sub grappling type events that the arts are different. And maybe what most people actually train every day is submission grappling. You know, when they go into the gym, they're not necessarily fighting for points. That's not what's fun. It's fun to try to submit people. It's mm -hmm. that that's what our end goal is when we train every day. And I think, some of these point-based tournaments maybe lost sight of that a little bit. Um, and I think that's why submission grappling just really resonates well with the average grappler. Um, I think they, they appreciate what's going on there. So I, I do believe more and more, you know, the IBGF point events will be uh, phased out more and more. Um, but, you know, I think they'll always be around and it'll always be an avenue for lower belts to compete. And that's one of its main benefits i think is that you can compete from white to brown without ever having to compete against a black belt you know you can go easily you know what five six years you know to even if you're really good before you get a black belt before you run into another black belt in competition competing in the ibgf whereas even on the local circuit that's not the case at all i competed against my first black belt a year and a half in mm -hmm. you, you know, uh i i beat him <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, like, yeah, quick learning curve. <laughs> yeah, but but the point is, I mean, it's, it's yeah. scary, you know. Like you got to compete black belt at black belt against black belts right away, you know, when you go the submission grappling route. So it's not like it's an easy road, um, you know. There's there's sort of I, I almost wish I had more competition experience, you know. The, the brown belt world championships are a big tournament that is a high pressure tournament, mm -hmm. and I wish I had an opportunity to experience that before I just sort of had to jump in and compete against professional black belts which is always a scary thing. I've asked some of your training partners this because um, we're about to wrap up. Um, what are your thoughts on a, a super dual meet between the best Henzo guys against the best Marcelo guys? Love the idea. Um, I, I, I think numerous reasons why it can't happen, though. Well, I mean, there's, there's – look, putting on grappling events isn't that challenging, especially when no one's greedy. Like me and none of my and my training partners are not greedy. We're not looking to make a ton of money. We want to put on good events. We want to compete against good guys. And the Marcelo guys, I know, are on the same page. They want to compete. They love the art. And we, all we want to do is express that. So it doesn't take much for a promoter to put stuff together if they're somewhat organized. Um, you know, that's what's always depressing about these events. There's a lot of really well-run events, and I see um, so many tournament organizers just – you know, taking care of all the details and putting together great shows with great competitors all the time. Um, so it's maybe saying it's easy is wrong, but it's certainly doable. Um, I mean, to be honest, I think, you know, the main thing is the, uh, you know, we really have not enough competitors maybe as the Marcelo guys do. You know, John Danaher only has, um, you know, a few competitive uh, 
students under him. So I don't know if we'd have enough people to actually match the Marcelo competition team at the moment. But you do have a house full of net full of Gracies. Uh, you do have guys you can recruit from the tri-state area. Why not get a captain like whether it be you have Marcelo on his side, maybe Henzo or Professor Danaher on your side, and they just sit down at a table and they come up with ten compelling matchups. I I love that. I love that idea. Um, you have those people call me or call Jeff too and put that together. I mean, uh, hey. I'll, I'll do it. Um, I'm committed. If you guys put it together, I'll pay 20 bucks or even 30 bucks to stream that, you know. I appreciate it. We won't overcharge your card either. <laughs> no, no, we're charging me twice like some yeah, people. Yeah. Charge you twice and not let you cancel. <laughs> yeah. And just uh, just to close, um, you were hit on a seminar circuit in 2015. Um, when are you going to be able to hit the seminar circuit again in 2016? I know you're, you're recovering from the knee and uh, you have a – full training schedule coming up. Um, are there any seminars you want to announce right now? Uh, no, no seminars coming up at the moment. I'm actually very picky with seminars just cause I like to, it takes me a lot of time to prep and I just did a free seminar actually in Las Vegas for, uh, one of my buddies, coach Casey, he just opened a new school out there. Uh, so I just, if I can't roll with everybody, I feel bad charging people for the seminar. I like to roll after a seminar just to train with everybody whenever I can. Um, I feel like that, add something to the seminar where you can actually feel the techniques being applied live. Um, you know, I know I got this from Gary. He does this at every seminar too. And it's always very impressive. You know, a lot of grapplers don't roll with everybody and I get why. Um, there's so many reasons why not to do that. But, um, you know, I think we've always done that and I'd like to do that. So I'm going to wait till I get healthy, till I can teach seminars. And, uh, you know, obviously I have the competition schedules coming up. So probably no seminars till after April unless, uh, you know, there's a compelling reason to do one earlier. Um, yeah. But if a school wants to schedule Eddie Cummings to come in and do a leg lock seminar, what's the best way to get a hold of you or to get on your radar? Uh, my Facebook page, uh, Jeff Chu manages it. He's my manager. He's a great manager, best manager in all of jiu-jitsu. Mm -hmm. um, he, uh, he handles all those requests. Um, so if you want a seminar, he'll again touch you. He'll figure out the logistics. He'll plan my schedule for me. Um, mostly I try to arrange my life. So all I have to think about is training in jujitsu, um, or teaching jujitsu for that matter as well. I take my teaching pretty, pretty seriously. And where are you teaching out of right now? Uh, right now I, I teach privates in the city, but that's it. I don't have uh, formal students. I have old students actually from, uh, another Henzo affiliate out in Queens who are moving into the city now. So going to take them under my wing now um so hopefully we'll have a bunch of new killers coming out i, I mean i used to train them they're, they're very good grapplers so we just got to get them on the competition circuit great great well thank you very much for your time um eddie really appreciate it you had an amazing 2015 it was amazing watching you blow up um in 2015 we wish you nothing but the best in 2016 uh thank you man i really really appreciate it oh you back eddie <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, again, we wish Thank you. you. I really appreciate everything. Yeah, we hope your knee recovers. We wish you best of luck in Niwaza against um, in the grappling industries, EBI six. You got practice for the high altitude and, and the also, pollution apparently. Yeah, yeah. But hey, afterwards, you know, instead of Korean barbecue, you guys can go have some great Mexican food. I'm excited about it. All right. Well take care and best wishes and have a good night. Thank you very much. Thanks again, man. Anytime. All right. Take care. Later.